Today, we will be speaking with Nicholas Burgess. He will get us started with an introduction about himself, and then we'll jump into the questions. Hope you enjoy the talk. My name's Nick, uh, Nicholas Burgess. So I, I've been working in, I've been working as a quant uh, internationally uh, for quite a lot of investment banks, funds, and other financial institutions for quite for about 20 years. So I've worked at Citigroup, UBS, Credit Suisse, Bank of America, Deutsche Bank, um, BNZ, MUFG. So uh, in different regions, uh, so in mostly in Europe, but also in Asia. And I'm currently working for XP Investments in Brazil. Um, now, this has uh, really allowed me all this different experience um, in the finance sector has really helped me to sort of get a lot of exposure to trading, pricing, risk management. Now, for the last sort of 10 years or so, I've been working in interest rates in the electronic markets. And that sort of covered fixed income, equities, credit, uh, and, and uh, other things like XBA. Uh, I was working recently as the head of quant research and analytics for Mizuho, but, but more recently, I, I've moved to um, XP Inc. in Brazil. And there I'm a quant manager of you know, FICC, equities, and XVA. What is the most important thing to understand about bonds, their function, and pricing? It's a, lot of, um, it's a very detailed product, and there's a lot of things going on. I think the most important thing to understand about bond pricing is that there's a lot of variety in bond markets. So the way government bonds and the way corporate bonds work are very different. And also... I mean, fundamentally, they're very things. They're very similar, but there are a lot of different um, pricing calculation types. There are a lot of um, idiosyncrasies, so different bonds, a lot of different um, features, um, and that Im impacts the pricing. And um, there's a lot of variety in in the in the bonds space. You have a price, you have a yield. Um, for a, for a government bond, but then as you wander up, and then look at more um, at corporate bonds and bonds that may be less liquid, or people start getting a bit desperate, and the pricing methodologies change and become a, a lot more crude. So um, there's a lot of variety in the in the bond market. Um, it's all about financing. Can we fund and finance um, a project? on a corporate level, on a government level. So the, the principles are the same, but the pricing can vary quite a lot with the different bond types and, and uh, the or corporate bonds. Can you talk about the more specific differences between, for example, the pricing of a government bond and the pricing of a corporate bond? Uh, yes, uh, sure. So government bonds, very liquid. We have a lot of information. And that allows us to, um, to to perform very accurate calculations. So the more we the more we know about uh, a bond or the or the the issuer, so if it's a government, the easier it becomes to sort of price that bond. So government bonds, governments borrow vast amounts of money to finance sort of hospitals, nuclear power plants, whatever projects there. That's defense or uh, infrastructure. And we know a lot about governments. We we know uh, we know how much they pay for uh, by, by their financing, 
And so quite often uh, the price will just quote on a, on a trading screen and uh, you just take that number and um, and that's all, all you need. It's not really a lot to think about. The, you, the, the market is quoting a, a number and you take it or leave it. And from that price, you can imply the yield to maturity, uh, which is the interest rate. And that will allow you then to get a lot of extra information about the bond. Like uh, you can work out the cash flows, you can sort of see um, not just about what's the total bond worth, but you can also sort of work out, well, how much am I going to get in the next six months, in the next year? So you have a lot of information. As soon as you wander then off away from so sovereign bonds and more towards uh, corporate borrowing, um, you have a lot less information. But firstly, it becomes a bit more risky. So the um, so you have higher yields, lower prices potentially and uh but then as you start as those bonds become illiquid you don't really trust the price and so people look for other ways so people think well, let's price this bond as a spread to another one or if there isn't and then you're in the realm of trying to find a good proxy if you can't find a very good proxy then people will say, well, how about we look at other markets maybe look at interest rate swaps and uh, different forms of borrowing, and we just say, well, okay, the bond is a spread, a different borrowing rate, maybe in a swap market. And then there are quite a lot of methods and then uh, that people start looking at then to sort of price those bonds. And in some cases, liquid and there is no market data, you're going down in onto balance sheets and accounts and you're um, reading financial reports. And on the financial reports, you you can see how much a company's bought, and you can see how much interest they're paid, and you can work out an interest rate from that. Maybe that's, and people then say that, well, that's my interest rate. And that's not a live number anymore. That's just a number every month in arrears. Um, so you get, uh, so then people will have to put wider spreads. They'll have to be a bit more cautious about the price. They maybe they put some Kinsey um, for into the price. Um, uh, to reflect that lack of liquidity, that lack of knowledge. So you start off with just having a price um, from which you can work out a, uh, a rate of return that you're expecting to receive on, on government bonds. And then as you start wandering off into corporates and into um, companies that, are, that you don't know a lot about, then you start have to, having to look in extreme balance sheets or at pricing as a as a, a spread to another bond. And it becomes a lot quite speculative at that point. And quite lucrative as well for, for market makers. And because of this variety in the pricing that can occur with corporate bonds, are there a lot of bad buys or sells because of this inability to really price the bond? The less we know, the less we understand about a bond that you, you could potentially, if that's not quoting in a trader screen, and if you just go into different banks, you can see a lot of variation then in the price. So when you're buying a bond, and if it's a liquid one or, or a corporate bond, um, it's always a good idea to get um, three or four quotes and then take the best, or take the best, take one of the top quotes. So you'll see a lot of variation, um, and that could potentially be a bad quote, or it could just be people sort of being a bit more nervous and having a bit more risk moving to the price, more of a buffer. So you see those buffers will be wider. Um, 
so the bid offer spreads will be wider the, the less that that particular market about the bond so you might find that maybe uh brazilian bonds if you ask a brazilian market maker you get a better price but if you ask in the us maybe they know less about that particular issue so you do have to shop around with um with some of these liquid bonds and there's definitely bargains to be had uh, from the market maker's perspective um they'll um they'll put on it as wide a spread as they can in many cases so some of these um so when you're trading sort of sovereign bonds um the bid offer spread the, the fees they can charge are quite small or because everyone understands the number when they become illiquid you can actually start charging uh, a lot more and it becomes profitable so a lot of government um, government bond trading from a market making perspective is loss making uh, not actually making money but they're actually ish, um, quoting the the government bonds because they want access to the illiquid bonds where the, where the money's made where they charge where they can sort of pad right more and some of that padding will be uh, the lack, lack of information and they're accommodating for that another and another part of it will be their, their profit margins so they can put a lot more profit on the corporates and liquid bonds and what are the most important or relevant pieces of information that a firm may look at when trying to decide whether an illiquid bond is a good purchase or not? Oh, that's a, uh, that's quite a tricky one um, because there's a lot of, of um, there's a lot of uniqueness to the different issuers. So, um, I guess we have to weigh that up with it in terms of with what kind of risk we want to take. Um, it's not always because the company. Sometimes we the bond we may have a company that's very active in the equity space. It just doesn't have a lot of bonds. That's that's possible. And maybe sometimes the bonds are liquid just because of the the it's not not a lot of them uh, for a particular issue, uh, not because the company's not well known. And so I guess we have to be comfortable uh, with the issuer, and. Um, and then it's about, I guess, establishing rich cheap. So can we compare it to a much market in the sector and sort of establish whether we think it's um, it's it's a good investment? Some people just, um, so it's a bit of a trade-off because you, you're obviously going to potentially make large returns on the liquid corporates. Then whether you think they're going to default or not, or whether, whether they'll pay you. Um, so I guess having a... If, the issue has a good price. That's a really good thing, and if we're comfortable that the with the risk of a particular issuer, issuer that they that they're not going to default, they've got a good track record, then we're sort of trying to somehow it's cheap analysis and sort of if we can compare to um, a few other similar bonds and uh, in the, perhaps in the same sector, and um, and then just compare uh, them that way. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's a lot of comparison that we need to make, and we just need to do do a bit do a bit of due diligence in terms of whether we think that particular bond's going to default. So having a good track record, having some track record record is quite is very helpful. What is the interaction like between the government bond market and the pricing yields of that compared to that of the corporate bond market? It, it can be quite disjointed. Um, so. You kind of specialize in in corporates and, and governments. Um, they are 
being benchmarked against. So the corporates are being benchmarked against the sovereigns uh, quite a lot of the time, not always. Um, and so there, so naturally there is a lot of interaction. Um, but that doesn't, but it's also a, um, a neat kind of a niche area too. So the, the, the sovereigns will be very less so. And um, so you tend to have specialist, specialists um, in, in both areas. Uh, and that's not uncommon for, and that can even be by currencies well, so you must in in a in in particular market as as well, or even a specific sector. So it's quite um, disjointed and fragmented because of that. I I think in terms of information flow, um, but they they are sort of they are all these different instruments. They they are interacting. They are being used to sort of hedge and replicate. You may not have a perfect hedge, but you may hedge some of your um, corporates exposures by in the government space um or or if you're entering certain yeah. markets you, you may not be hedging some of your risk with the with an exact um you may not have an exact hedge so you may hedge um with a very similar um and corporate or, or even a sector so all, all these things are definitely interacting there are the prices are being replicated sort of uh Emphasizing a lot of these prices and creating sort of corporate prices from spreads to something else, and so there's a lot of scope for arbitrage opportunities. There's a lot of, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of padding in the prices, um, a lot of interaction, and um, and it's imperfect, um, unfortunately. How do interest rates and inflation, uh, respectively, influence bonds and their prices and yield to maturity? Good question. Um, so generally, interest rates and inflation are um, as they rise. That's harmful to a bond price. So we're looking at bonds potentially. Uh, so you'll have a price, but you'll also bonds will declare maturity or an internal rate of return. So when we look at bonds, we're thinking we're going to borrow. Nisha is going to borrow money, and they're going to pay you. Uh, I'm going to work out well for. Given price, what kind of return are you getting on that bond? And that'll be quoted in a standardized format uh, as a yield to maturity, so an annualized format. And um, and so, if a bond's sort of um, generating a, re a return of five percent, so you you're lending money, you get five percent back, um, and rates climb, well, you could get uh, a potential like putting your money on deposit. You could you would get more for those bonds, and so. But your bond, you know, you've locked in, if it's a fixed bond, you've locked in your rate. So if rates are climbing and increasing, that's that's harmful to your bond. You're not, your bond's not going to give you any more. It's you've locked in and, and you're losing that opportunity um, to earn more. And likewise, inflation is a lot more harmful. Um, you're going to get, you're going to get your notional back and you're going to get all your fixed coupons in the future. And um, your cash flows are not, not worth as much, are not going to be worth as much. So get your dollars back in the future you invest hundred dollars you get hundred dollars back in 10 years plus some coupons that hundred dollars isn't going to be worth so much if inflation so is is, is high so so rates and inflation are harmful to the bond uh, bond yields bond prices can you break down these three concepts accrued interest clean price and dirty price 
the uh, clean, accrued interest is clean and dirty prices. So when we're pricing a bond, uh, when we're working out what a bond's worth um, at inception, uh, we, we could trade a bond in the primary and secondary market. So what that means is you could be you could be the first person to trade that bond. So you're, you're the primary. Or you could, uh, or the bond may already exist, and you just want to sell it. You know, you own a bond. Um, you don't have to hold it to maturity, so you can buy and sell bonds sort of at, at any point. So, if your bond, um, it's already been issued some time ago. Maybe we're halfway through the bond. Maybe we're halfway through um, a coupon. It's about you. You have a six-month coupon, perhaps you get interest every six months. And I'm sort of halfway through that period, that interest period. So when we buy and sell bonds um we um the holder of the bond whoever buys that bond in um in, in, so say we have a we're expecting coupons every six months um if you buy a bond sort of halfway through the coupon period you're going to get a full you weren't really entitled to so three months in you've you, you bought the bond you're going to get a full coupon in in the next three months which is a, a full six month coupon it's not quite fair. So what happens is you, the when we price the bonds, um, and, and we price up all the cash flows that we're going to receive, and we work at the price. That price includes um, some some of that interest that isn't yours, so it belongs to the seller. And so the the price um, when you price a bond with the um, all the coupons of the bond, that's called a dirty price, and. There's some accrued interest, sort of that three months that we uh, didn't belong to us. Uh, that that interest, that that accrued interest. Um, when we bought a bond three months in, we have to give the, that accrued interest back. So the three months of interest that doesn't belong to us, we have to return that to the uh, to the seller. And when we subtract and that goes from the all-in price, um, you come to this modified price. Which is called the, the clean price. So the the dirty price is the value of all the cash flows, even if you're not in top of them. The there's some accrued interest um, which will belong to the seller. So for interest that they've earned but not yet been paid for, because they get paid every six months. And then the clean price. If you take off the interest that you owe the seller, you actually get the real price, the clean price. Um, it's just that when we're pricing bonds, there's no concept initially of the there's no concept of um, this part of the cash flow belongs to me, that part belongs to you. You just get a payment. So you, you get maybe $100 every every six months. You just get paid and you just, what's the value of those payments? But what's sort of been, the market's evolved over time to say, well, let's be fair about this. You know, if, if I sell you, if I'm getting paid $100 tomorrow and I sell up then surely that uh, majority of that interest is going to belong to me, not to you. So they have this prorator method. So if you're trading a bond mid-coupon, you work at how much interest. You split the coupon, basically. And that's splitting um, the accrued interest that's owed to the seller. The inter uh, that's called accrued interest. Um, the full price, regardless of splitting who owns what cash flow, that's the dirty price. And the clean price is this modified price where we um, take into account that some of the interest maybe doesn't belong to us. So the, and that's the price that everyone's really needs. Now some bonds quote dirty, some quote clean. Um, there's different conventions in every market, but um, the price that actually exchanges hands is the clean price.
price where you take account who, uh, that a particular coupon might not or might not hundred percent belong to you. So there's um that adjustment that's happening in the uh, bond market.